And we will picture thy light coming into our spirits and minds and bodies. We will picture thy light shining in whatever part of the body needs to be healed. Thy holy fire burning out anything that does not belong there. We will look forward toward the future and give thanks, believing that we will go forth new people in Christ Jesus to do thy will. For thy name's sake. Amen. This is the same prayer I ended with last night, you know. And as I told you before, I want and expect miracles to happen while we are here together. Not through me, but through you. Through all of us praying together. So therefore, I'm not going to remind you every time, but I hope that every time that you come here, you will begin in silence with this prayer, expecting a miracle-working power to operate in you during the course of the talk. Perhaps all the talks, but certainly mine, because mine are, that's my, what I'm supposed to talk on particularly, is healing. Now, I didn't used to operate this way. It used to be that I sort of expected that healing would come when I would lay my hands on somebody. Well, the Lord has taught me better. And the Lord is working out a new thing. And nowadays, what couldn't happen ten years ago, nowadays does happen. Namely, that in a group like this, as we pray together, we become one in Christ and we make a big enough channel by our united spirits so that the Holy Spirit of God can come right straight in and do his own healing. I don't even know in whom, or when, or how. So, but it won't be unless you expect it. It won't be unless you expect it. So now, dare to expect. It's fun, it's wonderful. Dare to expect and give him a chance to do whatever he would like to do in you. You see, this is something that we do with him. Well, there was a time when Jesus, the Son of God, stood before an ordinary human man, Pontius Pilate, and a question was asked, which has never yet been answered, not really. Pontius Pilate said, What shall we do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? What shall we do with him? We are so used to sitting back and expecting him to do it all. But he didn't say that. He came down here on earth and he started this work of redeeming and healing and establishing the kingdom. And then he said, now you all carry it on. Do it with me. And I'm going to send my Holy Spirit who will give you the power to do it. In the beginning, you know, was the Word and the Word was with God. Jesus is called the Word because he is the very spoken-out being of God. He's the flesh and bones of God. God made flesh that we may see him. Not that all of God is in Jesus. Of course, there is the God transcendent. But the likeness of God, the very image of God, the very spoken word of God is in Jesus. I say is, I don't say was. And yet in the beginning was the Word. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to them that received him, to them gave he. Now here is the greatest thing that he came into the world to give, even greater than showing us the love of God, even greater than teaching us the way of life, even greater than giving his life for us on Calvary. Yes, here is the culminating thing that all the other things add up to and join into. He gave us the power to become the sons of God. And that power that shall make us the sons of God, or as St. Paul said, the children of God, which includes us girls, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, that power is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now you'll find that in Romans 8, the first quote, of course you know, John 1. But this is Romans 8 now, that we are the children of God, and if children then heirs, all right then, who are the sons of God? Our great mistake is that we have assumed that we already are when we're not. It didn't say that he automatically made us the sons of God. That's different from being his little lambs and the sheep of his pasture. It's different from being his servants, servants of Christ. No. And if we just go around calmly assuming and saying, oh yes, I'm a son of God, I'm an heir of God when we're not. We never will get there, like the old Rufus used to say, remember? If a man thinks he's gotten where he's going, he's not likely to get there. So you see, we haven't gotten there yet. Because who are the sons of God? They are spiritual supermen. They are the heirs of God, and St. Paul dared to say, co-heirs with Christ. Now, it's no good saying, oh, yes, I'm a co-heir with Christ, unless we can do with Jesus Christ what he did. The possibility is there, but let's not say that we have attained to it until we have attained to it. Otherwise, we cut ourselves off from ever getting there. You know, that's the trouble with most Christian people. We accept Christ and we think, oh, now I'm a Christian. This is fine. I've arrived. You see? It's just like somebody climbing up a mountain that might take one step up the mountain and say, oh, I'm climbing a mountain now, I'm a mountain climber, and this time. And yet, look around and think, with a little disappointment, think, well, after all, it doesn't feel too different. It, it, it doesn't look too different. Well, of course not. You're only one step up that mountain. So when we accept Jesus Christ, we do not necessarily, in the beginning, feel too different. I hope we do feel different but not as different as we can view because that's only the first step, it's not the last step. Now, in my six lectures, we'll, we'll go all the steps, but let's just have a preview of them right now. The thing we're aiming for, the final thing, is that we ourselves shall become a kind of a spiritual superman. As a friend of mine said, Jesus Christ came into the world to change the species to bring about a divine mutation in which we are no longer the kind of creatures that we have been. But a new order of being is born and comes, comes to pass upon this earth. Now, if we're the heirs of, of God, co-heirs with Christ, what do we do with him? 
Oh, we do his works. We do his works. And maybe this will startle you, but I actually know from experience and observation that every miracle that Jesus did is available to us. Now, that would be if we're co-heirs. One I have not seen from observation. I can only look forward to it in the future, and that is that we, too, can raise our own bodies from the dead. Now, I haven't seen that yet. But all the others I have, and I look forward to even that, all the others, not only miracles of healing, do you realize that when we are co-heirs with Christ, we have control even over the forces of nature? I have a friend who is a colonel in the Air Force, and he said one time he was flying, and it was over Texas, I believe, and there was a hurricane, the clouds were closing in, and he had to go, finally flew off two or three states to land. Well, that was all right. But he got radio messages from a little plane flying high above the clouds, and the fellow said, what can I do? I can't come down. I haven't any instruments. I can't get through the clouds. What can I do? I've got to come down. My gas is giving out. What can I do? So this colonel just simply closed his eyes and prayed. The other fellow was flying the plane at the time. He was not. And he commanded in the name of God. Well, he asked God to move those clouds, and then he himself spoke to the clouds. Why not? He was doing this with Christ. He was a co-heir with Christ. And he said to the clouds, now, come on, just move off. Just move off and leave a hole big enough for this plane to come through. And he heard the message from the plane in a few minutes and said, Oh, here's a hole. Here's a hole. I'm coming down. And he opened his eyes, and sure enough, those clouds had moved off on every side, and he saw this little plane like a mosquito just come right down. And then the clouds just rolled together again like the waters of the Red Sea. Yes. And I could tell you ever so many stories like that. One time I was down in Texas about, I think about, when was it, four, five, six years ago, some of the young ministers were tired of drought and they wanted to learn to pray for rain, so we did. <laughs> One of them wrote to me about a year later and said, Say, how do you turn this off? <laughs> well, co-heirs with Christ, able to do his works. Well, then, let's get started. Now, last night I began, gave you the first step, namely that we learn to pray the prayer of faith and that we pray with guidance, asking God to tell us for whom we should pray and how we should pray, and then that we simply say a prayer of faith, namely that we hold up before God this thing that we desire and we give thanks for his power coming in, and then we close the prayer with an expression of thanks, saying, God, I thank you. Now, what should we say? Well, I don't say any more than I can really believe. I don't say, God, I thank you that I'm well. I, uh, I don't know. I've got to wait and see. But I say as much as I dare to, I say, thank you, God. I believe that your power is coming in, me or this other person or whoever it is, working toward health and life. That the power is coming in, working toward health and life. Now, that's the least that you can possibly say. Now, you will have noticed that I have transferred this matter of God's will back to where I believe it belongs. 
It's too important to be just tacked on the end of the prayer. And so you remember I suggested last night that you begin by saying, you begin by finding out what is God's will. And if it's not God's will, don't pray for it. Now, you may make some mistakes, and I admit this is a much more difficult way than the other. Well, whoever said that doing miracles was easy? This is doing miracles. It's the miracle-working prayer. Tommy said last night that to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit is a normal Christian experience, and of course it is. That's not saying that we all attain to the normal, what's supposed to be the normal, but it is. It's the final gift that Jesus came to give us. For what purpose? So that we can do miracles. And now I'll add to that, and I'll say that doing miracles is a normal Christian experience. Remember the story Glenn used to tell about the little Korean girl? The minister said, somebody's sick in the village, who wants to go and pray for him? And the little girl held up her hand and she said, oh, let me go. I've been a Christian for three weeks and I haven't done a miracle yet. <laughs> and there's a heathen historian, I forget the name, who wrote along about the ninth century, I think it was, and said, this is how you can tell a Christian from a, a heretic, a heathen. A Christian can heal diseases and a heathen can't. That's normal. It's not any funny, fancy thing that only queer people are supposed to do. This is something that we do with Christ as we attain to being the sons of God, the new order, the new kind of person. We do this with Christ. I'm glad to say that even when this power of healing began to fade out and get dim in the church, why? Because they forgot these principles underlying it, which we are now remembering together. Why, but even when it did fade out, that the Christian concern for sick people still remained. And I'm glad of that. And if you remember, the churches, the hospitals and the homes and so on like that were all started by Christians. And I'm very glad of that, and I'm glad we have them. And I'll say right now that learning how to pray the prayer of faith is not in any way a contradiction to what can be done by doctors and surgeons. Not in any way, because we need all of these ways of helping the sick. It's an additional power. And we need this additional power for two reasons. And one is that there are things, there's many and many a case, as of course you knew, where the person would not get well. Even all that doctors can do is not enough, and this other power is needed. But then there's another reason, a more profound reason than that. And that is, that when God's spiritual power comes into a person, that power is bound to enter through the doors of the Spirit. There's no other way for it to come in. And so that power enlightens and awakens and quickens not only the body, but also the soul, but also the Spirit. So there are the reasons. Well then, to get back where I was, yes, I know this is more difficult than just praying for anything that pops into your mind and then winding the whole thing up by saying, if it be thy will. But the thing is, this way works. And so therefore, I suggest that you do not end your prayer of faith with an expression of doubt. If it be thy will is an expression of doubt. If. And I suggest most forcibly that you don't say it. Now, don't come up to me afterwards and say, but I've been taught to say it. I know you've been taught to say it. I was taught to say it too. That's why I crawled around being a miserable neurotic for so long. I had to unlearn what I was taught. It was not biblical. 
It's what Emily Gardner Neal calls the great heresy of the 20th century. It is not biblical. Jesus never said it when he was doing a miracle. Nobody in the Bible ever said it when they were doing a miracle. Not one single time. Search the scriptures and see for yourself. And furthermore, it is not practical. It's an error that crept in. So, I suggest that you cut it out. <laughs> but that you transfer the question of God's will back where it belongs in the beginning. Ask him, saying, shall I pray for healing for this? And if he says no, and it's you, then go on, lie down, die, and get it over with. <laughs> yeah, if you think it's not his will to help you get well, what right have you got to see a doctor or have an operation or anything else? See what I mean? You see what I'm getting at? I don't really mean to be irreverent, but what I'm getting at is that this, if it be thy will routine, is a kind of an alibi, you see, by which we relieve ourselves of all responsibility. And it does make it more difficult if you cut out that alibi, but nevertheless, I'm still suggesting it. But however, if you just want to say something about God's will, that's perfectly all right. Say what Jesus said to say. Thy kingdom come in this person, thy will be done in this person, now on earth as it is in heaven. Or you can say it something like this. I say like this. Thank you, Lord, I believe that your power is coming into this person, working in the spirit and the mind and body in all ways that are best according to your perfect will. Now, can't do better than that, can you? Now, what is the difference? It's just a matter of words. Yes, I know. But the thing is, your subconscious mind hears the words that you say. And if you're praying out loud in the presence of another person, or even from a distance, I think the subconscious mind of the other person also hears the words. And as soon as you say, if it be thy will, if you notice your own feeling, you will see that immediately you begin to waver. Mm -hmm. You think, oh, well, but what if it isn't, you know? Now, I feel quite strongly about this because when I first learned about healing and went to the minister that I had prayed for my baby and asked him to pray for the healing of my mental depression, I was too confused to have any idea what he was talking about, and I just only listened for one phrase, and I said to myself, if he says, if it be thy will, then I will know that he doesn't believe I'm going to get well, and then I won't get well. And I wouldn't have. My life depended on whether he did or did not say that phrase at that time. And praise God, he didn't. Oh, praise the Lord, he didn't. Oh, now that was stupid of me, but then people in depression are stupid, naturally. Matter of fact, sick people aren't too bright. <laughs> and so we just have to, to, to humor this a bit of denseness of the subconscious, this tendency to doubt, and to speak strong words, words of faith, words of power. So now there is the, the prayer of faith outlined for you again. Well, what then if you say the prayer of faith and it doesn't work? This question I will ask in almost every lecture from now on. I will seek further and further and further reasons, things that might stop it. Well, one of the first things that might stop it is that while the conscious mind believes this, or is trying to believe it, the subconscious mind, and that would be the accumulated lifelong thought habit concerning this matter doesn't believe it. And you mustn't blame yourself if you're like that. We're all like that at the beginning. It just shows you're normal. Don't get mad with yourself. We just got to think what to do about Junior. 
That's what I like to call the subconscious mind, Junior. Because it's like a little mind that lives inside of me that's younger than I am, and it doesn't respond to reason, and it doesn't understand very well, and it can be tied by habit, and it's very hard to get into its mind a different kind of a habit of thinking. Haven't you ever been praying for something and you say nice, good, strong words of faith and then from inside of you up comes a little voice that says, Oh, yeah? Do you really believe that? Well, that's Junior talking. <laughs> so what can you do? The way that I learned, and there may be better ways. There are better ways. Sometimes you get just real full of the Holy Spirit and Junior catches the idea right straight away instantly. But however, I'll give you the slow way, because it's the way I learned, and it does add power, was to train this subconscious mind to think, to imagine in a different way. You know, the imagination of your heart has tremendous power. You remember the delightful story in the sixth chapter of Genesis? A sad story, but really very quaintly told about how God looked at this mankind that he had made and he, he, he thought it was a bad idea. I wish I hadn't ever started it. The Bible says it repented him that he made man. Why? And the Bible says because. Now here is the whole trouble in a nutshell. Because, said the Bible, every thought of the imagination of his heart is only evil from his youth. The imagination of his heart, that is, the train of thinking, the succession of pictures that go through the subconscious mind. In the Bible, the heart is the subconscious. Is only evil. It may be wicked. It may be just fearful. It may be just negative, just destructive. Now, you cannot help creating because you are a creator. God's the creator, and you're made in the image and likeness of God in this way that you have in you, this thing that creates. And so, therefore, you can train Junior. Now, how can you do this? Well, really, it's fun when you get the idea. Really, it's fun. Though it is a bit of work. But you can, for a while, for a season, you can watch and notice the things that your own subconscious mind broods about, the pictures that run through your mind. I can remember in the old days when I was a neurotic, when the children were away at school, I would picture them getting in contact with polio and meningitis and every germ that ever was on earth. That, those pictures would just float through my mind. I didn't want them to, but they just would. And when the children would get back from school, I'd run and feel their heads to see if they had a fever yet, you know. Well, it took me quite a while to train Junior to see pictures of the children being gay and happy and well. And I didn't concentrate on it all the time, but whenever I would find myself seeing these other pictures, I would say, uh-uh, now, Junior, we're learning to think a new way. That's the way I like to talk to Junior. It's easier than doing a lot of uh, high-powered praying all the time, which gets too tiresome. So I would just say, now we're learning to think a new way. So come on now, let's think up some nice pictures. Now, this is awfully childish, but honestly and truly it works. Honestly and truly it works. This is the way that I got over my own fear of going and talking to other people about healing, which is the thing that we are supposed to do along with Jesus. 
Not only just to sit on our tails in a prayer circle and pray for him, that's too easy. Jesus did not confine his prayer work to prayer groups. You don't remember Jesus saying, now come on, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, now let's all sit down and have a nice little prayer group. Now, I don't doubt that he did pray with people, but his regular way of healing them was not by prayer group work from a distance. That was an extra, whatever he may have done along that line. And what he did was he actually went to them. He went into the regions of Samaria and Galilee and roundabout where he thought they'd be likely to come to him. And when he drew near and they heard about him, they came to him. And that is also and always what he wants us to do. Praying from a distance is fine, of course. You can't always go to people. Some of them are too far away. But it will never take the place of personal work. Because they need more than just your prayers from a distance. They need somebody to tell them about Jesus. They need somebody to tell them that Jesus is alive and that he heals them today. And so, in the beginning, this was how I got over my fear. And now you might like to try to get over your fear. It's a very easy way, really. And that is, when I was planning to go to see someone, I would just let my imagination brood about it, upon it and tell myself a story about it. Now, for instance, one of the first I went to see was a little girl, Ginny, six years old, who had had polio about, oh, a few months before, and she was paralyzed. Her right leg was immobile and her spine was immobile. And her mother was a friend of mine and her father was a doctor. And not a, nobody had ever heard about this prayer business and I was just terrified, just absolutely scared to death of the idea. But yet I had this rush of compassion when you feel this rush of compassion, then that is God telling you to go. That's Jesus saying, do this with me. I want this to take place. Now, to interrupt myself again, perhaps some of you are thinking, well, if Jesus wants it to take place, why doesn't he just do it by himself? Oh, how many times I've thought that. The answer is very simple. The answer is, I don't know. But all I know is, he says to me, you do it with me. If Jesus wants babies baptized, I don't know why he doesn't just baptize them himself. But he doesn't. He chooses a minister to baptize them. If he wants them confirmed, why doesn't he just simply confirm them in a spiritual way without any ceremony and any preparation? Well, he doesn't. You see, he chooses us to do this work with him and pass on the power to others for reasons of his own. And so therefore, the Lord said, go see Jenny. I said, oh Lord, I'm scared. The Lord said, go anyway. So the way I got over being scared was, I just let my imagination brood upon it. I didn't decide, I will say this and I will say that. I just told myself a story about it. Oh, pretty much all day as I was making up beds and washing dishes and all, I let my imagination go ahead and just imagine myself coming into that house and sitting down and having a cozy little talk with the child. And you know, all the fear went away. And when I went to see her, I wasn't afraid the least bit in the world. I rang the bell and said to her mother, Ethel, I've got a funny idea that maybe I can help Jenny. And if you don't mind, I'd just like to go up and have a little talk with her. And she, of course, was delighted. Anything to amuse the child? Fine, says she. <laughs> so I went up and said to the little girl, Jenny, you know, when Jesus was on earth and people were sick, 
he would put his hands on them and pray for them and they'd get well. And he told us to do the same thing. He told us to do this along with him. But, Jenny, I don't know how. I've never tried. Or only once or twice. But that's what Jesus said, do. So why don't we just try it? Sure, said Jenny. So I put my hands on her, and I wasn't scared a bit. I just prayed for Jesus to come into her and make her well. And then I used this holy imagination and made in my mind a picture of the life of God coming in through the name and the power of Jesus Christ and that eternal creativity of God shining down like electricity into her nerves and into her muscles and waking them up. And then I imagined her leg moving and I imagined her sitting up in bed and I imagined her out walking. And I said, thank you, God. I believe your power is coming in now and is working toward this. This is going to be. And what happened? Nothing. It was all right. I wasn't disturbed and Judy wasn't disturbed. Somehow we just instinctively knew that this was going to be a slow process. We didn't figure it out. We just knew. We were doing it with Jesus, and I reckon Jesus just told us. It'll take a little while, but it'll be all right. Nothing happened at all. But I went back the next week, and she was happier, that's all. And so I would go see her about once a week or something like that, and we'd always pray the same prayer, not the least bit discouraged. And I can tell you right now, this wouldn't have happened if I had just prayed from a distance for the prayer group. I know it wouldn't. It took the full power right there, projected right into her. And it was after perhaps six weeks that one time I had my hands on her little knee and she said, Oh, take them off. It's so hot. I said, Oh, Jenny, that's good. That's God's light coming in. Now, it's not too terribly hot. That's just, you just be quiet. And I'll tell you about Peter Rabbit now, if you'll be real quiet. A minister asked me once why I didn't tell her a Bible story. Well, I should have, but I just didn't think of it. <laughs> Anyway, she was quiet, and when we got done praying, I didn't know why I said it, but I guess it was just guidance. I had imagined it so often that I guess the thing inside me that imagined knew that now was the time. So I said, Jenny, pull yourself out to the edge of the bed now, and let's just see if that leg won't move. So she pulled herself out to the edge of the bed, and the leg went down just like this. And we kept on visiting a while, and you know... As good as my pictures were, they still weren't quite good enough. Because you know what Jenny did? Why, after that, a couple of years after that, she skated for a while in the ice capades in Philadelphia. And I never did get around to imagining anything quite as good as that. <laughs> in other words, she was just perfectly, completely well. At one stage during the process, her father was able to help, being a doctor. There was one little nerve in the foot that they felt that they would do something to, fix it surgically to help in the healing. Now, that's perfectly all right. That's fine. God made the doctors and the surgeons and their wisdom. And if there is some sensible little thing like that that will help, why, well, praise the Lord. I don't have to decide the doctor did this, God did that. And if people say to me, well, I don't know whether it was God or the doctor, I say, well, what difference does it make? It was probably all working together, everything working together. So now, here's one thing we can do. If we pray the prayer of faith and it doesn't work, we can undertake to train this imagining. Let the imagining of the heart learn to see 
beautiful pictures and healthful pictures. And you know, the most wonderful thing that we can do in helping other people is to learn to see through the visible person to the potential. I suppose some people call that seeing the Christ within, but I'm such a ordinary practical person that words like that confuse me. And I, I, I don't, I, they confuse me. I can't say that. But I just say, seeing what this person can be at their very best, don't you see? Seeing the potential goodness. I remember one time I was praying for a man who had tuberculosis. Well, there were a lot of things wrong. His family life was far from perfect, far from perfect. And I heard various grim tales about his business relationships, and I don't know what was true there. And I made no inquiries. It was not my business. I just would never rush into another person's soul and say, are you living a good life? I mean, that's between them and God. I have too much respect for their soul to ask. But I remember this man was not getting well. I remember one day I looked at him and I said, you know what's the matter with you? I said, the whole trouble with you is that you just don't quite dare to be as good as you really are. Now, that was a funny thing to say, but somehow I saw the man that he really was. And, you know, the light came on his face. We never did discuss these matters of his health, uh, family life or business. He was a very independent kind of a man. He just was not that type of person. Some do, some don't, and we never did. But let me tell you, from that minute on, he changed. And he got up off of that bed. Oh, I remember now he had tuberculosis. The first time it was pneumonia, but this time it was TB. And he got up off that bed. And in fact, I, I, I didn't quite approve of what he did. He owned a dried beef business, and uh, the one of the men that drove one of his trucks was sick, and he couldn't get anyone else, and so he got in that truck and drove it. And I said, you ought not to be doing that. He said, yes, I'm going to do this. And he said, you give me six weeks, and I'll have a complete x-ray of my lungs, and I'll show you a perfect pair of lungs. And that's exactly what happened. At the end of six weeks, he took the army examination and was passed and got in as a quartermaster or something or other. So, but nothing moved at all until God gave me enough sense to show this man that I could see through these other things that were imperfect to the really good man that he was inside. You know, after a while, you get this habit of holy imagining, and it's perfectly wonderful because it makes everything in life different and so much more interesting and so much more beautiful, and all people so much more interesting and so much more beautiful. It's the greatest key I could give you for the transformation of people, and if I had time, I could just tell you story after story after story after story. Well, I might just tell you one. There was a man down in New Zealand who was just about to fly into a thousand pieces. I mean, really and truly. He was about as near to a, just a complete disruption of personality as I have ever seen. And he said so. He said, I'm just about five minutes away from a complete break. And I knew it. So he told me the story of his life. He said, I've led a horrible life and I'm a horrible person. And it's true that for various reasons, the woman he was living with and had children by was not his wife. 
And there were various other things that were true. I'm going to interrupt myself to say right now, I forget about these miserable tapes. I wish there weren't any such thing. You're all taking tapes back there. You cut this bit out of it, will you? Because I shouldn't have started this story. I'm sorry. And I shouldn't really blame the tapes. It's really my fault. I forget. I talked to you all in such a cozy, friendly way. For the world that he'd made, it was a gentle gray day. It looked like there was a gentle sort of a mist over everything that made it all the more lovely. You know, the, the brooks and the ponds and the cows standing knee-deep in daisies and this gentle gray mist unfolding all. And when I got off the train, a lady behind me said, mm, I wish they'd wash the windows on this train. Can't see a thing for the dirt on the windows. And there wasn't any mist. It was a good bright day. <laughs> you see, you can see it either way. And both are true. But which is, which is the most beautiful to see? You can either see the dirt on the window pane when you look at people and life and yourself. You can either see the dirt on the window pane, that's the nearer thing, or if you're looking with the eyes of Jesus Christ, you can see right through the dirt on the window pane and you don't even see it. You see the beauty of the world beyond. And so this is one thing that you can do in order to make yourself a wider channel. Now, last night I told you the story about this thousand-watt floodlight that I wanted to plug into the wall socket, and my electrician said, you can't do that. You cannot plug in a thousand-watt floodlight into an ordinary socket. You blow out the fuse. And that was true. There are some things that you are not big enough to pray for yet. You blow out the fuse. And I said to my electrician, then build me a bigger outlet because I'm going to have that floodlight. And he did, and I did. So, you see, these things that are too big for us, what are we going to do about it? Give them up permanently and forever? No. Build us a bigger outlet. Build the more stately mansions, O oh my soul, as the swift seasons roll. And so in every lecture, I'm going to give you other suggestions, and I'll have time to give just one more now, I think about building a bigger outlet. The first one is, that I have given, is training your imagination to see, as St. Paul said, those things that are good and lovely and of good report and so forth. And then here is another thing, and I've spoken about this and told about it in all my books, and yet I do remind you, I expect a great many of you do this. But I wonder, do all of you now Take a little while every morning to train your imagination in the highest way of all, namely, to go apart and be alone with God and fix your whole imagining and all the thoughts of your heart and all the love of your heart on God and meditate upon Him and the very essence of His being and ask Him to come into you. In other words, having this quiet time alone with God every day. I wonder how many of you do. You want to hold up your hands and let me see? Well, now, that's real good. You're much better than an ordinary church congregation. I wouldn't dare ask them, but I can tell looking at them, they just look blank. And as a matter of fact, I'm surprised. When I talk to ministers in the School of Pastoral Care, I'm surprised how many ministers just don't do this. And what a tremendous and wonderful change it makes when they do do it. 
One time I was in a great big church where they had four or five ministers and I don't know how many secretaries and janitors and volunteer helpers of all kinds. But there was no power in that church. It felt cold and felt lonely. And I said to the young curate, who was a friend of mine, a friend of my son's too, who was also a minister, I said, what's the matter with this church? He said, well, the trouble is, I guess we don't get along very well. There's a lot of jealousy and friction between the various ministers and people who work here. And I said, when, well, then, when you all gather here the first thing in the morning to start the day's work, do you begin by having a prayer together? And he said, oh, no. And I said, why not? I mean, it seems so funny to me. I mean, there was a church, all these ministers running around. And it seems so funny to me that it just didn't occur to them to begin with a prayer for the day's work. He said, well, I can't suggest it. And, of course, he couldn't because he was the youngest of all and just a baby curate. But he said, from now on, I'll do it anyway. And so from then on, every single day, he came 15 minutes early. And he went into the church. And there he prayed not a long list of intercessions, not that at all, just simply for God to be in him and to be in the church and for God's blessing on the day's work. And a year later, I went back there, and that church felt entirely different. There was a warmth and a light in it. Just stepping in the door, you felt good. Your heart lifted up right away, as it should and can in every church. And my friend said, I don't know what's happened to this church. It's changed entirely, but I know what happened. Of course, there may have been other things, but I know one definite thing that happened, and that is that one young man went into that church every single morning and had a quiet time in which he fixed the whole imagination of his heart upon God himself and then asked God to come and fill him and fill the church. Now, you know, this is the most wonderful thing that you can do, and it doesn't have to be ministers. I'm thinking now of this double thing. I'm thinking not only of having your quiet time for yourself, but I'm giving you this other suggestion. If you want to do just a wonderful thing for the Lord's kingdom, you can go into your own church and pray. On a weekday, God will be surprised, but it'll be all right. <laughs> I don't know anything that so fills the church with power as having people just simply come into the church and pray. You know, this is one thing we ought to learn from our Catholic brothers and sisters. You slip into a Catholic church and you'll always find people there in prayer. And if you notice, there's a different feeling in that church. Now, let's, let's not deny it. Just out of our old prejudice, you just go see. I remember in the old days when I was brought up very, very narrow, I thought I'd go to hell if I stepped inside a Catholic church, but I've gotten over that quite some time ago. It's real funny how we can get these narrow ideas and we think that if we even just associate with somebody of some other church that something terrible is going to happen. Oh, Lord, forgive us. So, so now here is the suggestion about your quiet time. You may not always be able to go into the church, but if you can, when you can, there were some people in Morristown where we used to be that formed the habit of always on their way into Philadelphia to work, you know. The church was right at a bus stop. And they'd start a little early, and they would come into the church and have a prayer, and then they'd get back on the bus, or get on the bus, or drive in, or whatever. There were people who did that regularly. 
Maybe that is one reason why that church became so filled with power. That there was a light that could be seen around the cross on the altar at all times. Not everyone could see it, but a great many people could see it. They would say to my husband, what is this peculiar lighting effect that you would have, have around the cross? And he would say, there is no lighting effect. And they would say, but I see a light around the cross. And he would say, oh yes, many people see the light around the cross. You remember in the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory and the Holy of Holies around the mercy seat? Well, God isn't dead. If there's enough reverence and enough love, God's light can still be seen. And so now I suggest this, that you may be a greater channel, that you have your quiet time every morning, and that either you do that in the church or in addition to that, that you make a practice, whenever possible, of stopping into your church to say a prayer. Now, the minister also may be startled, but uh, just bear up, and he will gradually become accustomed to it. As a matter of fact, he will find that it is the most wonderful consolation and comfort to him. As a matter of fact, you may be surprised because the minister may be so pleased and so touched by this after he gets over the first shock. <laughs> you may be surprised. Maybe right at first he won't know what a wonderful help it will be to him, but oh, it will, it will. So then, in your own morning meditation, how shall you do? Well, just go apart the same time, the same place, because the force of habit is help helpful. And then put every other thought out of your mind and concentrate your attention upon God in whatever way you best can. The way I like to do, actually, is to sit looking out of doors, out of the window. That's good, because wherever I am, there's always a window. I can always look out of doors. I may not always have a certain picture of Christ or a cross, but there's always the outdoors. And so I just look out of the window and I just imagine the light of the Creator, God the Father, shining from the beginning of all worlds and still shining and then coming into me and filling me with light and life and power. And then I bring my thoughts a little nearer and I imagine Jesus Christ showing forth the glory of God in the face of a human being. And then I bring my thoughts even nearer, and I imagine the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son, entering into me and filling me with his light and strength and power for the work of this day. And then very briefly I lift up before him the work of this day and ask his blessing upon it. Now just those four simple things. But how tremendously important to do this. Wonderful things will happen, and yet maybe at first nothing will happen. Maybe at first you just have to do it on blind faith. But after a while you will find, I'm quite sure, of course to many of you this is old, but I'm speaking to the new one, or ones who've tried it maybe and given it up. If you will keep it up with faith and with patience, I'm quite sure that after a while you will find that something will change inside of you, your mood will change, your heart will lift up, your spirits will feel lighter, inspiration will come for whatever you're going to do that day, you'll feel quite different about it. Instead of thinking of it as a heavy load, you'll think, oh, that'll be fun. You'll find that your body will feel lighter, I mean really lighter, so that you walk without so much of the pull of gravity. 
And there's no telling what else you may find. Sometimes really wonderful spiritual experiences come to you. Sometimes God reveals himself in an extraordinary fashion, but sometimes he doesn't, and you can never tell. But this I do know, that if you will do this every day, faithfully, you will find that you will become a wider and a wider channel, and more and more God's mighty works will be done through you. Build the more stately mansions, O my soul, as the swift seasons roll. Leave thy low vaulted path. Let each new ceiling, higher than the last, hide thee from heaven with a dome more vast, till thou at length art free, leaving thine outworn shell by time's unresting sea. Let us bow our heads in prayer. O Lord Jesus, we do give thanks that we are elected and chosen and given the power to become the sons of God, the children of God, the new order of being, so that it is not ourselves living, but so that it is thy life, O Lord Jesus, living in us. And so we pray thee now, even now, to enter into us and to fill us anew with this thy heavenly life, to breathe upon us with thy Holy Spirit, to awaken and quicken the spirit within us, bringing to life these hidden potentialities that are within us, so that we can do thy own works with thee and really bring upon this earth that kingdom of heaven that we know to be thy will for thy children. And we give thanks to thee, O Lord, believing that this shall be so. In the name and the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the CFO Classics Library. If you would like to listen to more messages from the library, please visit our website at cfoclassicslibrary.org. Or if you would like more information about the camps farthest out or would like to find a camp near you, please visit their website at cfonorthamerica.org.